Welcome to Procurement Block, a podcast all about digital transformation in procurement and supply chain, and how blockchain, risk management, and change management all factor in. I'm your host, April Harrison, Marketing Director for Trust Your Supplier. I'm a procurement novice, eager to learn more from the people who are at the forefront of procurement innovation. On today's episode, I am being schooled by Joyce Harkness. Joyce has held a broad range of senior leadership roles in business and IT transformation, customer operations, and IT management in companies like Nortel Networks, Fairchild Semiconductors, Australia's NBN Company, and Avant Mutual, while based in Australia, the Philippines, and the USA. Joyce was born in the Philippines and graduated from the University of the Philippines, Diliman, with a degree in chemical engineering. She earned a master's degree in business administration from Macquarie's Business School in Australia and completed advanced studies in cybersecurity from Stanford University. Joyce joins us from Australia as we discuss the basics of supplier risk management from the viewpoint of a CIO or technology leader. Fasten your seatbelts for this conversation. Joyce, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, April. I'm happy to be here. You have quite an impressive bio. Can you tell me a bit more about yourself? Well, I was born in the Philippines, which actually is in my bio. But what is not in my bio is I'm the eldest of four children and the only girl. But I had such a blessed childhood. I learned English before I could speak because my mother spoke and read to me in English. Why? Because she was a teacher. And she wanted to teach me English early, as early as possible. She later became a regional leader in the education department. My mother opened to me a variety of experiences. I learned to play the piano, even we we did not own a piano. Would you believe that? I wow. simply practiced. <laughs> I simply practiced with my neighbors on their piano. She brought me to the studio of a Filipino painter, a grand, a, a master painter, who taught me the art of painting at an early age. I learned how to use different media, pencil, watercolor, oil. And then to cap it all, she supported me, my, my father too, but she supported me to go to a selective university far from home where I studied chemical engineering. So you could say I had a dream run really until I had my first taste of rejection just before I graduated from university. I wanted to share that story because I think it's a encouragement story for those who might be going through that at this stage. And it's about closed doors and open doors. As is the usual practice, you know, these big name companies, they came to the campus just before we graduated to interview candidates for their new graduate programs. I remember rushing to the dean's office to check my name on the board um, for a schedule of interviews by a global petrochemical company that we would not name. I am barely 150 centimeter tall. So I had to tiptoe and strain to look above the heads (laughs) of our students. Yeah. Finally, I made my way closer to the board. I scanned the list. I blinked. I could not find my name. I looked again and again. No, it's not there. Why is my name not there? 
I was among the top students of my graduating class. Why is my name not there? Not even to be interviewed, April. Wow. I mean, yeah, I turned away from the board. I, I remember walking away, but not really seeing the path. I was straining not to cry, you know, not to embarrass myself. But it was so heavy, the disappointment in my heart. I grew up with my brothers, the oldest and the only girl, as I said, and I had opportunities to learn a lot of new things. I never was restricted, constrained, or limited um, because of my size or my gender. And so that was such a disappointment to me. I did not get very far from the dean's office. One of my classmates saw me. He caught up with me and he put his arm around my shoulder as if that would console me. It didn't. But what he said stayed with me even until now. He said, Joyce, it's their loss. They missed a great talent. Always remember that. And um, he was right. I did not know then, but that moment was pivotal. So instead of going into a petrochemical company, um, I was led to another better road. And I joined the uh, Fairchild Semiconductors. And if you know Fairchild, and if you don't, let me tell you, I'm so proud to say, it was the grandfather of semiconductor companies in Silicon Valley. You know, more of Moore's Law came from Fairchild, and uh, Noyce, who founded Intel, came from Fairchild. The last interview with Fairchild was amazing. Carl Stahl, I still remember his name, was the top executive of the manufacturing plant in the Philippines. After the usual questions, we ended up chatting for over an hour. Can you imagine having a first interview experience that amazing? I felt welcomed and appreciated. And although Fairchild was only recruiting mechanical and electrical engineers, my CV caught their attention. And so they brought me in. So to cut the story short, from Fairchild, I went to join Nortel Networks and, you know, expanded my role in Nortel from covering Australia and New Zealand to Asia Pacific and then to global business and IT transformation programs. And then from there, I went to a very large startup called the National Broadband Network in Australia, and then to financial services and medical legal uh, services. So it's just amazing how that rejection really led me to where I am today. Rejection can be very powerful. <laughs> At the time, it seems devastating, right? Um, I've had a similar rejection of a program and, and university, how it put me on a different path, right? Which um, now I wouldn't change that path. I really appreciate your sharing that with us. Yes, I hope it inspires someone else at this moment. I ask all my guests uh, a similar question, uh, just a kind of uh, fun question for my own entertainment. Um, if you had one superpower, what would that be? Oh, so easy. Vision, but better than Superman's. He <laughs> <laughs> could only see beyond the physical, right? I want physical yes. and time boundaries to be removed. I want to be able to see forward and backward 
And it's all to do with problem solving. Can you imagine if you can see what's behind something? Right. Then you can solve the true problem. Can, and also imagine if you can anticipate what might happen, you can make sure your solution is future-proof. So I want vision, not Superman's vision. Uh, I have got to call it Joyce's vision, <laughs> supervision. <laughs> supervision. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it that way as as um, as a problem solving um, solution. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so Joyce, I am learning the basics around initiatives and technology within the broader areas of procurement and supply chain. And I've asked you to come on and school me on supplier risk management. Let's start with a very basic question. What is supplier risk management and what are the different elements in supplier risk management? Now, you've got to make sure that I do these in the hour that you've given me. Otherwise, we can be here for days. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so I, I need very like, basic. I'm new. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just peel it back to, to really the word risk, I think, because supplier is a qualifier to risk. What is risk? Risk really is because we are uncertain about the future. We might think we're certain, but in fact, we can't predict the future. We might be able to assume some things, but there's always uncertainty about the future. And risk management is about the ability to anticipate and put in place actions that can reduce the uncertainty and if it can't be reduced any further to manage what could be the likely impact and you know what if you can you can relate to this when you look at your home right yes. um you you for example there's if if some damage um, comes to your home and you can't afford to repair it, what do you do? You actually say, let me insure, let me take an insurance policy so that if there's a damage beyond this level, I can use that insurance policy to help me fix the damage. You are managing risk. Okay. Because you're it. not sure what might happen. Yeah. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely have insurance on my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... Um, there are several things that we do beyond insurance that we actually manage risk to ourselves, our health, our safety, um, that of our family. And we just go about it more in a natural fashion, not, not you know, the big planning thing. Um, we, we put our seatbelts on when we go into the car because we're managing the risk of a collision that might um, harm us. If you have a seatbelt on, the the harm can be lessened, the impact to you can be lessened. So that's, it's almost automatic. You just, you know, you never even think about it. You get in the car, click, uh, you just put the seatbelt on. That's also managing risk. I never thought about those types of things in terms of managing risk, even like going to the doctor for a checkup or you know, like you said, putting your seatbelt on, but that makes a lot of sense. That's right. So when you add the word supplier, supplier risk management is really just applying this approach 
with respect to our suppliers in the business. What if something goes wrong? That's a risk. How will we manage that risk? What is the likelihood of it happening? And if it happens, what can we do to limit the damage? So that's supplier risk management. You asked about what are the different elements in supplier risk management. Um, when you look at the analogy of, you know, insuring our home, putting the seatbelt on, going to the doctor, um, there's actually a similar thing that you can do to approach supplier risk management. In all of these things, there's actually three major components. The first one is process. There's a process by which you start your drive, right? Take your keys, open the car, sit, put the seatbelt on. That's a process. And the process needs to also consider the people that implement that process. And for the car that's the driver, they need to know what the process is. They need to be trained to also drive. <laughs> And that's where the analogy is stretching a little bit. They need to be trained to drive because if they don't know how to drive, then you're also increasing the risk. Third component is supporting technologies and systems. So one way to look at supplier risk management, whether you're building it from ground zero or you're improving it, is to look at three elements. The process that you know has the risk around it, the people who are involved in the process, and the culture of the people as well, whether they are risk aware or they are risk responsible. And then thirdly, the supporting technologies and systems. Because in the end, as the company grows and becomes more complex, and in many cases are in different locations, that complexity, that distributed nature of the people um, actually increases risk. So that's where technologies and systems come in because they can help with repeatability of a process, the quality of the process, the reliability of the process. So three components, people, people and culture, process, and the supporting technologies and systems. I, I imagine as the world has changed and, and globalization, organizations are dealing with a lot more businesses around the world, more people different cultures, and so the technology and supporting systems become more important. That's right, that's right. Also, um, there's always imperfect knowledge transfer. So as, as much as possible, when a process can be automated, automation makes it more repeatable. Now, if we home in on the process itself, um, because this is where, you know, if you want to manage the risk, what is the process of managing the risk? Let's look at the risk management process itself. Now, there are many ways to approach the risk management process, but I thought there are really five broad steps. And those five broad steps are identify them first, you know, identify the risk. The second step is assess that risk. Then once you've assessed, then take action. What is your response to the risk? Then most likely your response is to mitigate, then you monitor the risk. So the five steps I have in mind, I identify, assess, respond, mitigate, and monitor. 
and I'd like to unpack them a bit for you, April. Sure. Um, if you don't mind. So in many companies, they use what we call risk management framework. So you define risks in broad categories because we're not talking business, right? Not personal risks. So the broad categories that I've come across are like, what is the financial risk? What is the risk to the financials of the company? Many companies operate in multiple countries and are sensitive to the politics in that country. So you might actually also have a category called political risk. Then there's a risk in the market, which is competition, new products coming in, and you know people and companies coming in that are from another industry, but breaking into the industry. And with digitalization that has occurred, actually. I mean, Uber is a classic example where it disrupted the taxi business. Yeah. And you can also have a category called technology risk. Now, many boards these days have added one more, and that's information security and privacy risk, because we're really speeding towards a highly digital world. So, you know, these are the things that one needs to consider to identify the risk. So you'd ask, how do I identify the risk? Was really ask questions, what could go wrong? That's, that's as basic as that. What could go wrong? What could go wrong with the financials? What could go wrong with the political side of things? What could go wrong with the market? What could go wrong with the technology? And you can also flip it. You can be positive. What could change? Because change, though positive, is also um, can also introduce risk to the business. So that's how you identify risk. Do I have to implement a supplier risk management program for all my suppliers or just the most critical ones? Well, you need to look at the universe of suppliers because how would you know if one's critical or not? So that's actually step two, assess the risk. So if you go look at the suppliers and the risks that in, is involved with having suppliers provide that product or that service, then you need to assess the risk that's associated with a supplier. And there are usually two things. Um, if you wanna just have a very quick uh, assessment of the risk, the likelihood that it will happen and if it happens, what is the consequence? So for example, if you have one supplier for a cloud service, um, I'll talk about the technology service provider, and that supplier was attacked and therefore went down, what is the likelihood of that risk? Well, there's a few cyber attacks lately, right? Yes. So you might say, that's kind of medium high because that just happens every day now. So even the, the strongest of companies can be, can be attacked successfully. Now, if that happens, what does that mean to your business? So what's the consequence? And you might say, actually, I trade one, let's just say for the sake of an example, my revenue is $1 million a day. 
and I could be down for, I don't know, if they're attacked, two to four weeks. It depends how fast they can recover. So this is now where you, you, you are assessing that the risk associated with that supplier is actually medium high. And because of the consequence, blending with that medium high likelihood, you might say, actually, it's a critical risk. That supplier, their service is critical to our business. And then, then you go into the third step, which is what would you do then? How would you manage this risk? And there are four ways you can manage the risk. You can avoid it. Well, don't go cloud. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, then, but then actually, that's not black and white because, in fact, you can manage your own data center and still be attacked. So maybe avoid's not a good option for this one. You can also say, well, I'll just accept the risk. Other companies are accepting the risk. I think the board would not allow you to accept that risk because, in fact, the third response is you can reduce the risk. How do you go about reducing the risk? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where you really need a lot of uh, experts to come in to actually identify the many ways, the many options you can to reduce that risk. In this particular example, um, it's a matter of understanding the ability of the supplier to manage their own risk, right? Because they're supposed to be protecting their network as well. So understanding that they have a program to manage their risk, to have you know their defenses, their cyber defenses up. Are they are their um, cybersecurity systems certified by a third party? That's managing the risk if the supplier is managing that risk, right? But you might also say, actually, I might like redundancy. I might like to have the ability to recover in such a disaster situation by making sure that I have access to backups and I can bring the systems up in another cloud environment or in my own environment. So I'm going technical here now, but that's the point in that you need to bring the experts in because they can think about the many options to manage if it does happen. Uh, there's actually a fourth response to risk. Can you believe that? We actually covered it earlier. Insurance yeah. is a way of sharing risk, isn't it? Yes. And, and so um, I think a few years ago, a new product came into the market, which is cybersecurity insurance. And for that insurance cover, uh, they, they pay you any impact to the business and they might pay you for other, um, you know, recovery activities. You have to look at the insurance cover detail in particular um, because this product is evolving uh, very rapidly these days. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, but that it makes a lot of sense. You know, I wouldn't drive my car without insurance or, like I said, own a house without insurance. So your business is just as important. Having insurance for that makes a lot of sense. I think you asked, do I have to implement it for all? I, th I, I yes. think I'd just like to wrap it up by saying you do have to look at your universe of suppliers and make sure you categorize them to whether they're critical or medium critical or not really critical. 
and you would have to apply the risk management strategy as appropriate for the criticality of that supplier to your business. So for example, you wouldn't go to lengths you would go to for a cloud supplier versus a supplier that supplies that provides your printer paper, right? Yes. They're just at the opposite ends of the spectrum of criticality to your business. Unless your business is printing books. <laughs> right. I just, I just thought of that. What things should organizations consider when implementing a supplier risk management program? Are there any typical issues or pitfalls to avoid? I always find that um, just like, you know, the IT organization, sometimes some companies have the approach, it's just an IT problem. And so in supplier risk management, there's a danger where it's just the vendor management team's problem or the chief procurement officer's problem. It isn't. It must be a business problem to solve. And so a multidisciplinary team is needed in supplier risk management. Why do I say that? Because no one knows it all. The vendor management and procurement experts know about their space. But in fact, to really understand the underlying risk that is being managed, you need the business because then they can peel back the business scenarios that are most critical for them. And in that sense, you then are able to prioritize what's really important and also have business buy-in on what's really important. So in these particular examples that we've gone through, if you spend more time with your technology vendors because they're really critical to your business as you've gone more digital and more towards cloud, then we on, you only have finite resources, then you would spend less time possibly on other vendors. And, and that's a risk too, but that's also prioritization. And so you can get business buy-in by involving them in supplier risk management. Yeah, I think prioritization of resources is a, a common exercise <laughs> for many yeah. areas, but I, I didn't really associate it until just now with risk management so well some companies have hundreds of vendors can you imagine how many people would be required to just make sure risk is being managed so it needs to really be prioritized otherwise uh, you end up with so much paperwork as well that's the other one you can get bogged down in bureaucracy checkers checking checkers and so on and and take the focus away from what's really important so it's it's what I call extra credit time. Do you have any advice or hacks that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I've got a couple of hacks, one for myself and one for family. Will I get extra oh, yeah. points? Yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one is about managing my health. Now, many of your listeners would agree that we're not just a physical being, right? We have mind, soul, and spirit. Um, so to maintain all around good health, I have daily practices that aim to balance my focus in these other areas. So rather than waiting for the annual retreat or the annual vacation, and I do this when I eat alone. And 
more often than not, I do because I like the quiet of eating alone. Um, and that's around breakfast or at lunchtime. When I eat alone, I refresh my mind, my soul and my spirit by thinking or meditating on deeper things. I just really like switching topics from, you know, a hard three hours in the morning at work. Then having a lunch by myself and refreshing my mind. I read the Bible. I read a magazine on fashion or art. I listen to a diverse choice of podcasts that are encouraging to me or uh, help me learn about a different world. Um, I still sometimes tune in to U.S. radio because I want to know what the what the local news is. Sometimes I go to a web page um, of a newspaper in Raleigh, North Carolina, just to know what's going on because I lived there once. And sometimes I read a book, uh, a page or two, or enjoy music. So the point is that as I'm eating, I'm feeding the body. But I'm also nourishing my mind and nourishing my soul and my spirit. And this also goes true for when I go for a walk. I, I tend to go into deep, deep thinking. And I find that really refreshing. So when I go back to the office or to the desk, now that we're working from home, I I just feel that I've just got this new energy to apply to the work. So that's my hack. That's very refreshing. Yeah. I'm going to take up that challenge. And instead of eating at my desk while I'm working, I'm going to try to do that. You know, take a few minutes out and do something else for my mind. Yeah. Nourish your body. Nourish your mind. Yeah. Go for it, April. Yes. I'll, I'll report back to you on how that goes. <laughs> Now, the second hack is family scheduling. I've shared this before with other women because I have three children. I'm a single parent. My husband died when they were young. So I'm the only parent that can attend school events. So my family hack is that we have a shared online family calendar. And ever since they had their own computer, therefore can access calendars or their own iPhone, at the beginning of each school year, we would put the usual school and family events in the calendar. And then it helps us then have conversations about who's attending what. Because it means that if I'm attending your uh, swimming carnival, for example, or a sports day, I might not be able to attend the other child's one. And therefore, I have to recruit an uncle or a neighbor or um, a friend. And so everyone's covered. You always have support. <laughs> it, it's also a good way to teach them about problem solving and negotiations, it sounds like. That's right. That's right. Now, they are now young adults. And they we still maintain that habit because it has actually been really useful, not that we find ourselves working from home or studying from home. So... I actually add significant, really critical work meetings in the family calendar, just as a placeholder, just to alert them that that is really important to me, just to keep the noise down. <laughs> we have pets with us. And so when I put a significant work meeting in the family calendar, um, I've agreed with my children that that actually means, please make sure the pets are in the back of the house. 
our cat loves to show up and chat to me when I am on video calls. <laughs> he just he he he's meowing and meowing and really talking to me and won't stop. And it happened once. Sounds like dog. he wants to be a YouTube star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to solve problems with me. That's right. <laughs> anyway. And the dog gets so excited with the unusual voices and noises on the computer. So anyway, that's been the the benefit of having that online shared family calendar. That's another great one I'm going to implement. Joyce, thank you so much for being on the show and schooling me on supplier risk management. I have two teens learning to drive. So risk management is now at the forefront of my mind. And when you mentioned the seatbelts, I completely got it. So <laughs> thank you for, for helping glad. me understand. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, April. That's it for this episode of Procurement Block. I'd like to thank my guest, Joyce Harkness, for joining me on the show. Procurement Block is produced by Trust Your Supplier. You can reach us at procurementblock.com. Show notes are available on our website, and you can leave your questions and comments via the listener comment form. Thank you for learning with me today. I'll leave you with wise words from Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest.